Hey, hey, happy Thanksgiving to y'all. Yeah, what's this podcast all about? Well, we're walking bud, that's for sure. You know that, this is Buddy's Owners, Arizona Schnoodle Walk. So it's uh, 8.45, quarter to nine in the morning on Thanksgiving Thursday. And uh, it warmed up. It was only like 45, 47 yesterday. We're up to 59. It's still chilly. And uh, yesterday I heard about a storm that's coming our way. And as I've mentioned before, like Arizona's kind of funny. They say there's a 30% chance of rain. It varies. Yeah, so I look at the radar map. We're good. Rain's not coming in until tonight. But they, I guess they expect quite a bit, maybe like five. So, Bud, I don't know about our evening walk tonight. Or our morning walk tomorrow. Looks like it's going to rain tonight. So we'll have to adjust our schedule, bud. Yeah. Adjusting schedules. Yeah. That's that's pretty much life. You can re- that that's a so what. Yeah, you guys can relate. You can relate to adjusting schedules. How do we handle it? How do we handle our adjusting schedules? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things that just are not in our control. It's so uncomfortable not to have things under control, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you have a strong controlling uh, desire, then you'll probably want to control things, Yeah. And uh, you can frustrate yourself and also frustrate those around you. So I, I don't know what, is there an answer? I, I'm uh, reading this Scott Adams stuff and uh, he made a comment about goal setting and that it's better to have a systems in place than goals. And I guess he wrote a whole book on it and I splurged into the 13 bucks on his other book. But I got to finish, I'm, I'm uh, more than halfway through the first one. Loser think that's his latest one. But in there he references it's an interesting concept, right? We've been so many there's so many people that tell you, come on, you gotta set some goals in life. Set some goals. And uh and then the tendency is to go like, well, okay, well, I want to be like Warren Buffett or Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. You know, these kind of things, right? You know, success. What is success? But success looks different for you and me. And so we all have different success. So instead of the goal like that, I've already jumped a little bit ahead. But basically, he's talking about systems. I went a little, I went too philosophical right away. But the first, first comment is set up systems. So, um, you know, and I don't know if that's, again, it's a framework, right? Systems set up a system. So I'm sure all those really what we think are amazingly successful people. I, you know, they, they probably didn't even set the goals to be as successful as they are. You know, how do you measure the success, right? A billionaire or something is that looks like it's successful from the outside. And, uh, um, 
and there's probably a lot of responsibility with that billionaire thing. I mean, I think, I mean, I don't think they had a goal. Like, they, you know, it's like the reason, the reason Jeff Bezos is a billionaire is because he's, he was 12 years old and he set a goal to be a billionaire. Now, I, mean, I, I don't think so. You know, so Scott Adams would say, it's not just having a goal, it's having systems in place. So probably what's more than likely, because Bezos and those kind of guys are real analytical thinkers, and they probably put a discipline to things. And even like your plumber guy, he's probably could be successful. You probably have people really successful all around you. They're just quietly successful. And whether you're a plumber or a school teacher or something, you find a way to make it work for you, and maybe you exploit it. And exploit, and by exploiting, I mean, you know, you figure out what's working, and then you just keep doing it over and over again. And if you keep learning, you probably take those those systems and adapt those systems to other systems. And, and you know, it's even related to you entrepreneurs who do like the ask method, you know. Or we create, you know, they talk about funnels and click funnels and, you know, getting a tribe and a following and super fans. And it's all good stuff, all good frameworks, concepts, words, naming it. And uh, there's a system behind it, right? So even uh, the Pat Flynn's like work hard now so later you don't have to. That's kind of a life principle, but he puts more systematic behind it. He's looking at other, he invites people on his podcast that have different systems that work for them. So if you peel it back, it's like, well, what system is going to work for you? And can you change your systems? But there's a lot of comfort in systems. And apparently one of the criticisms of Scott Adams' book that I just bought is that it doesn't really tell you like what are some successful systems or how do you set up a successful system and i'm my initial reaction is kind of like well you probably can't everybody's can have their own unique system right so um, whatever your entrepreneurial business is your expertise and how you deliver it what you do and how you go to market strategy that's strategy that's system um you kind of create your own system as you go and then and we all want the what do they call that? The silver bullet answer to things. And uh, so we want to we want to get a book. It's going to tell me this is the system. And even the guys that like do these amazing jobs with getting speakers uh, recently was uh, had the one year once a year. I guess that's probably a. a method is like do a once a year you have this big push to build your funnel or something and so the big push on the speakers thing was like become a, you know a, a wildly successful speaker and you got to have one signature speech and it resonates and blah 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 and it's like can it really be that simple four steps you know like tell a story uh describe the problem offer the solution close with a story or something like that. It's still, it's the content. And that's what no one can teach us. There's not a book that can say, this is you. This is your content. 
But isn't that the beautiful thing about it? I think that's where the abundance people come in, abundance become it, because everybody, and it's, you can hear it. You can, I can hear Rob Bell say it. It's like, well, you got you to gotta do what you're call, here, called here to do type of thing, right? So do what you're called here to do sounds great, but that's like, okay, who's going to tell me what I'm called here to do? Yeah. And there isn't anyone. And it's sort of like a self-discovery thing. And it's not, and it's not even self-discovery. I, I, my my uh, proposal is that it's really the Holy Spirit. And even if you don't believe in Christianity or Christian God, um, you can't help it. You don't have to believe in it. <laughs> it's just happening. Yeah. Some Thanksgiving people up walking and walking dogs and running and bicycling. Yeah. It's a little cool out, but there's a lot of activity out here. Human beings. Moving. Movement. Get movement. So, uh, everyone, there's like, right now I can see one, two, three, four, five, six people in this remote area. And every person, there's a seventh, an eighth person, and there's nine people. And just walking my dog. And every person has thoughts. Oh, yeah, I watched Wings of Desire last night. It's a... Uh, a movie, Wings of Desire, or in the German, they call it Himmel über Berlin, which is heaven over Berlin, which I think is a little better title to me. But Wings of Desire, a little different than Himmel über Berlin. But I love it because it's Berlin, man. So sorry, folks, but I'm a little uh, snobby about my Berlin because I love it. <laughs> I chuckle, right? I mean, what podcast? This is like the 700,000th podcast on the planet. This one is hosted by a guy that's snobby about Berlin. You know, I'm a snob Berlin snob. How's that? And it's uh, a really cool place. Just so much amazing history and just so raw and so beat up. So... Uh, so amazing, the re resilience of mankind, resilience of the human spirit is uh, is in the history of Berlin. And yet, and yet uh, you can't tell. I mean, you, there's buildings. It'll, it, this is like July. I, I'm like overcast skies, 50, 60 degrees. This could be like July in Berlin, but it's November. 27th or 8th in Arizona. So what's special about Berlin? I mean, it's it's not the buildings. I mean, they're not, it's not a beautiful city like Paris, or Prague. It's just scarred. It's scarred. You can see, look, you can see scars. They try to put lipstick on the pig, so to speak. There's also beauty there. So I love it. I think it's a great place, Berlin. And not just because I'm a snob and it's a hipster type thing, because it's kind of an acquired taste. But the movie was 
1988, year before the wall came down. So you can still see some of the no man's land, so to speak, in the wall. The whole deep philosophical concept of a divided city. And uh, yeah, the movie's interesting. And I learned something a couple of weeks ago from the Polish ladies that Colombo was a really big program. And it must have been kind of universal because they were in Poland. But I, I mean, I can't tell what year they were, if they were showing Colombo <clears throat> before the wall came down or not. But uh, I have a feeling they might have. Definitely in West Berlin. They probably didn't do it in East Germany. But I'm not sure. Like, I mean, there's, it's very possible. It's an interesting question I don't have the answer to. Like, did, was Colombo shown in uh, communist countries or not? Or any Western program. I, I have a doubt. I kind of doubt it. Right? Maybe Poland was different, or maybe some of the other countries were able to pull pull stuff off. But um, uh, definitely, uh, well, it was 1988, so Colombo was a thing. And, and Peter Fox in the movie, and he plays a. It's pretty cool how it works out. I have to watch it again and again. It's like the, it's an interesting movie because you ha- one guy. In this family, there's a family that loves movies that I know, and they're like real analytical about movies. And uh, it's kind of like trains. Like I took the guy to see toy trains, connect people with toy trains. Not because I love toy trains, but I know he does. That's kind of a loving thing to do, right? Some micro, micro generosity. And similarly with films. I mean, I hung out with this family a few times. And uh, the one, the, the father of the, the family is kind of like, I hate that movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so I'm telling you about this movie. I recommend it, but you may not like it. You may hate it. And uh, I don't know why. I think the one guy hates it because it's like you have to use your brain again, right? It's a movie where you have to use your brain and you have to think and enter into the artist, the, the, the film creator, director, producer, Wim Wenders, Wenders, Wim Wenders, Wim Wenders in the 80s. And he did another movie called Paris, Texas, but I didn't watch that one. But he's, I, and I, so I can't compare the two movies, so I don't want to go into that. But European movie director, Berlin's a special place, special in 88, you know, 1988, kind of a, interesting time in world history and and, I, and maybe there were some inklings that there was some possibility of reunification i don't know but it, you may the movie's not about reunification it's not even about berlin it just takes place there and it's about angels spirituality thoughts and as i was watching the the movie i think the movie influenced me on these podcasts because basically i'm like I'm like living out the movie in a weird way because if you watch the movie, there's angels, a couple of angels, you know, and uh, they walk amongst the people and they can sort of hear people's thoughts. And so you, you know, it's, that's why it takes your brain. You have to kind of 
kind of have to really be prepared to think if you're going to watch that movie. And and what it is is kind of like um, me walking around Berlin doing a podcast like this, but I'm actually speaking the words, whereas in the movie they, you know, you, you, the actors just never say anything. You just hear the angel listening to their thoughts. So it's kind of complex. So the dialogue, and that's probably why one of the reasons the guy doesn't like it, because it just takes a bizarre bent on presenting a concept, right? There's no, there's a lot of thought going on. It's, it's mostly a movie of people's thoughts. And so if you're not, if you're not interested in trying to put the puzzle together and uh, kind of go with the raw humanity of Berlin. I think that's, I think that's what makes the movie for me, a couple of reasons is Berlin is such a raw city to experience. Um, Cause if you, you know, it's not that the really nasty stuff's happened there, but um, the idea of doing nasty things um, occurred there. And uh, <laughs> in a goofy, because of my German history studying, I kind of feel like Berlin gets a bad rap because really the dude who started all this crap was Southern German. And, and they have this big, they've always had this big separation between Northern and Southern Germans. But, you know, World War II, the real nasty dudes were all from Bavaria or even Austria. And, uh, <laughs> they moved up to Berlin and kind of like polluted the crap out of it because that was the capital city. But, you know, I, I would say I, I'm pretty confident that most of the nasty guys were Bavarian dudes and they just moved up to Berlin because that's like the Washington, D.C. of Germany, right? And then, you know, so World War II starts and Berlin becomes the focus of blowing it apart at the end. And it just saw incredible destruction. And it probably would have been nuked. I mean, there was a probably, I mean, it was probably close to getting nuked. Uh, but I haven't seen Nagasaki or Hiroshima, so I, they probably rebuilt that, like Berlin's been rebuilt. So dang, why did I drift into that story? Wings of Desire. And it's, um, again, like, where am I? It's Thanksgiving. Um, just, um, what are we gonna do? So, Wings of Desire, where was I going? Yeah, spirituality. So sorry, folks. I don't know if I can get pull it back together to where I was. Was I got too? I got so excited about that, describing that movie for you. That uh, yeah. So Peter Fogg, I, I guess I'll I'll try to go deeper in the movie a little bit because it'll probably bring me back to my point, which is uh, we'll have to figure that out together. What the point is? <laughs> oh, I hope you love that. So, um, I mean, before I forget it, I don't know if I did a podcast this week um, called uh, Are They 
are they smoking what they're selling? I mean, I kind of find that very useful. So Rob Bell is, and I think I may have did a podcast on that already, but I may come back to, are they smoking what they're selling? And uh, so Peter Falk, Columbo, I, I, it makes me, I, I think I remember seeing the show as a, you know, young and, and it was so formulaic, right? The same, the guy, Columbo, like the whole show would go on. He's a detective and he acts all dumb and stupid. And then it all comes together at the end of the show magically. And, you know, you, you think he's like, I think the premise of the show is he, he looks like a bumbling uh, detective who's like totally not getting it, right? But there's like method to his madness, so to speak, and then he he puts it all together at the end. And uh, I suppose people like that. I'm not sure. I, I mean, it makes me want to watch and catch the formula. But uh, yeah, I don't know if that fits a, a story brand. If Columbo is the hero and the hero of the show, or if he's just the uh, a guide. I mean, he comes to the conclusion, right? But usually he's solving a a murder, so he's not he's more he's got to be more of a guide, even though we think he's the hero. Because he, you know, he may solve a murder, but it, it's it's not like his personal murder family. He's doing it in service to the family who's wondering what just happened here, right? So maybe maybe I can shoehorn it into the story brand concept, and it's not that important uh, to to shoehorn it into that formula. But uh, he uh, in the movie he kind of talks to the angels, and he kind of catches you by surprise early on in the movie. He. Uh, He's having a cup of coffee and he senses that there's an angel nearby. And the angel, the movie's been, after 20 minutes of the movie, you kind of get the idea that these angels are walking amongst all these people. Nobody can see them. And you get the idea that maybe kids can see them, but not adults for sure. And even some kids can't see them. So, um, and then all of a sudden, Peter Fox starts talking to one of them. And the, the angel's kind of, what? And he's like, yeah, I, I know you're there. Yeah, I know you're there. I, I wish I could see your face. You know. So you're like, wow, Peter Fox, he's in on it. Peter, somehow, somehow Peter Fox is in on in this story. And, uh, and he talks to the guy. The angel and that angel somehow, somehow there's a way they don't really explain it, but somehow the angel is able to convert to a human being somehow. So it's kind of a philosophical, deep story, and he converts into a human being, and uh, then he later he comes into Peter Falk again, and they have a conversation when he's. Now he can see him, right? So now he, he was talking to him when he couldn't see him. And now that he's a human being or whatever that's called, 
he's uh, talking to Peter Falk and he's like, well, you told me, you know, what, what do I got to do or what's next? And <laughs> Peter Falk's like, well, you're gonna have to figure that out yourself. <laughs> and he talked about how Peter Falk had like 40 years earlier been in the same situation and converted from an angel himself to a, a human. And Peter Fox just says, well, there's a lot of us out here that have converted from angels to human beings. And wow, that's philosophical, right? And I, and I, I want to watch the movie again because I think he kind of commented that he would help the guy figure stuff out. But now he changed his mind and said, no, you got to figure it out yourself. So I don't know. It seemed like he was enticing him to convert to a human being, (laughs) however weird that sounds, right? But it's a worthwhile movie to see. I I don't know. I think so. You know, you may be like this. You may hate it. Um, And it's like, so what, right? So what? So this is life. Figuring it out. It's a... the director, movie maker, kind of, he does show that we we walk around with a ton of thoughts, right? I'm walking Bud, and Bud is uh, just doing his thing, sniffing around. And I'm talking to you, talking to me. I have thoughts. I'm just expressing them. Unlike the movie, I'm actually expressing my, my thoughts. So... Uh, is that a, how does that benefit you? You know, because I'm not, I'm not giving instructions, and uh, my call to action is to think spiritually, I guess, or work on spiritual matters. And uh, smoking what you're thinking is is a challenge to me too, because I need to smoke what I'm selling. Because um, I know authenticity is is pretty damn important, right? Uh, I mean, I thanks for dialing in and listening. Uh, I have no idea who you are and things, and uh, I'm just being morning. I'm just being transparent with you while I walk my dog. Sounds easy, right? Hey, man, this guy just. You know, what, what kind of investment is he making into the podcast? Uh-huh. I am. I invest my life into it. <laughs> and uh, this is what you get. Yeah. There's not a lot of answers here. Peter Falk, you got to go figure it out, figure it out yourself. <laughs> or as Rob Bell had the uh, Irishman. Dang, what's his name? Something else, some Irish guy, Rob Bellogs. He talks about the heist. Everybody wants to get a nice heist. I got a nice heist. Yeah, I got a real nice heist. Heist is a house. Sounds pretty funny, but I'm like, what's, what's this Irish guy talking? So, um, smoking what we're selling. Authenticity. That's what we love, right? We love the authenticity. We love getting close to people, having a connection. 
And everybody wants to get close to like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, um, Bill Gates. That's okay. But it's systems, back to systems and goals. Gotta set some goals, man. How about some systems? Sounds like systems are better. Let the goals go where they go. So it has me thinking of systems. And I can frame what I do as a system. I frame my morning reading. So today I'm insider information into my system is I started out wanting to do, understand this Paul guy, right? Who in the hell is this Paul guy? <laughs> Sounds like a really important guy because like all the religious leaders. And oh, by the way, the my following or whatever my tribe or what do I assume about my market is that you've been filled with lots of information about Christianity. So there's 2 billion Christians on the planet. So there's a good odds that uh, you've heard a lot of the facts and the stories. And I noticed that we're really, unfortunately, we divide ourselves. This reformation is about having the right knowledge, the right ideas, and being right about things. And I'm like, did Jesus really ever, was that, can you really point to a position where Jesus was concerned about being right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's not been framed that way. No one's probably ever asked you, did Jesus ever get in an argument about being right? And I would have to think hard about it. I just don't think he did. And yet, that's is that not what we've done for at least the last 500 years, probably even 2,000 years, is that stinking teaching accurately about Jesus. So hopefully Jesus doesn't offend you. I mean, if the word Jesus offends you, it's probably because some dude described what he was like and you got the impression of who this Jesus guy is because of some guy yelling at you and telling you what to do or something. And that's a big danger because people have such confidence in their, in what's right. right? And if I think about it, I have to look through, skim through the Gospels, which I don't do a whole lot of, but I, I do more and more. Hey, it's Mike. It's Mike. It's probably going to go work out. Maybe I'll see him in the gym in an hour. And uh, it's like being right. I don't think. I really don't think Jesus cared about being right, did he? I mean, this is what he just owned it, right? So, so if you want to, I mean, my coaches are telling me I got to own my message, own it, Mike, own it. And I'm like, okay, okay. I'm reluctantly owning it. But is owning something better than arguing it? And that's one of my blind spots is I just love to argue and be right. And I'm not alone. Right? I mean, that's kind of like one of the human conditions again. Is we like to be right. And we like to have tribalism and us and them. And I'm, I'm going back to Rob Bell again because I like Rob Bell. 
uh, is, you know, he talks about the us and them problem. And he talks about smoking, what you're selling. And I just sent a note again to my friend in Chicago who also respects, likes Rob Bell. And Rob took a lot of shots at the current president of the United States. And I'm explaining to him, I was like, well, I think he's getting off track. We, this, it, he's got such a great message that it has to transcend politics, right? I mean, we're talking about eternal things. And so why, why get dragged down to who's right and wrong, black and white on politics, right, Rob? Raise a glass. You're getting off track, Rob, and you're not smoking what you're selling because you're you're promoting an us and them, Rob. Come on. You remember, Rob, us and them. I'm calling Rob Bell out for bullshit, right? So there's a lot of people that don't like Rob Bell. And uh, mostly because they... You know, he promotes like maybe we're all going to heaven. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if he's right about that or not, but I'm not going to hate him for it. And, uh, but if he's smoking that, you better be smoking it, Rob. And if you're smoking that and you're smoking the no us and them, why are you promoting an us and them? Dude, that's what I'm saying. So, okay, enough of that. Gets my blood pressure up because now I'm, now I'm sounding like I'm trying to be right about something. So, and just leads to arguments, right? So, uh, dang, because of the Columbo, the the angels, the spirituality, the, the gospels, I don't think Jesus was arguing with anybody. He just owned it. And one of the reasons I struggled with the gospels was the, he speaks to mostly Jewish people. And we know that the guys really didn't get it, you know. And the real, his mission here was unfortunately to to have to die. And, uh, and he spoke to lots of people, talked. But I'm not sure if what he said was, you know, was frequently meant for all time. And what I mean by that is he's speaking to Jewish people who were supposed to be the chosen people. And they are. They are the chosen people. They weren't getting it then. And, you know, and he's just kind of, he's kind of in an awkward situation because he knows what's going to happen. And he knows that, uh, there's going to be a wild change and there's going to be some wild stuff happening. And they, and so while he's talking and quote unquote teaching people stuff, is it with the understanding that they're going to have to look back on those experiences and figure it out later? Or was he more than likely, I would say he was teaching for the current context of the situation. And even on top of that, if we go into the spiritual realms, could he be making statements that were heard by angels and demons, like in the movie Wings of Desire? Could uh, uh, 
could some of his statements be to the whole audience, which would have included demons, angels. So when he talks about, this is kind of supporting Rob Bell, when he talks about like dividing things up and sending people to hell, maybe he's speaking to the spiritual beings that had rebelled from the beginning. Yeah, so I'm either losing you or you're pissed off at me because I'm throwing out some possibilities, which I don't know is true or not. I'm not sitting here saying this is the way it is, but I think asking questions about whether it's possible that some of those statements that, that we hold on to now and analyze the crap out of and say, look, people are going to hell. And I'm like, well, again, I think I mentioned it the other day is like, the story is, the message is that God had to send his son to die on the cross. And he did. And he rose again. And, but then we're adding to that. Like, isn't that like fantastic in and of itself? Is that not powerful? enough and doesn't that fit the narrative that we're kind of messed up and we don't really have it figured out and to confidently say this is the way it is and you have to believe the way I believe and join our church and have our 1850s origins it doesn't make sense on the surface right It it doesn't make sense so um, let me bring you up to current on my method, on my system. So that was a little diversion in the background for what I'm about to say about the system. So I like the Paul guy. I question like, well, if Paul's so awesome, you, you know, you think in our organizational system that if the plan was Paul to be awesome, he would have been one of the 12. He's the right age. He could have been selected. I have a theory that he just didn't want him to be. One of the twelve, because he had been, you know, educated as a Pharisee and, and uh, quote unquote, knew too much or whatever, and probably would have been a pain in the butt. Well, he did his three years doing what he was doing. And is the story, the message, not better because this Jewish guy that was supporting murdering believers um, became a believer himself, and it wasn't through intellectual figuring it out. It wasn't through knowledge. He had all the knowledge. He saw Stephen be martyred, standing there watching people stone this guy. And he probably didn't run away and cower. He had great confidence. Stephen did. He had great confidence. (laughs) They just stoned him. And, and, And Saul, future Paul, was like, yeah, okay. Do it, man. All right, I'm going to Damascus now. I'm going to go round up some more of these knuckleheads. Because he was blind to it. He just didn't get it. Right? But God intervened. Holy Spirit came. God, Jesus, all three in one. Intervened. So I find Paul, Saul, a fascinating guy. And uh, so that's why I read his stuff. I mean, I'm trying to put it together. Put it together. His life. Acts. Read his letters. Remember that, like, Rome, he never went to Rome, but he wrote a letter to the church of Rome, which is kind of confusing. And because he wasn't there, but he wanted to go there, 
but he knew there was a church there and he wrote him a really sophisticated letter. And all I can think of is over his 10 or 15 years not being known that there was enough Romans going back and forth that he knew there was a church that the gospel, the message was growing there. And it could have been through Paul or someone else that somebody in Jerusalem brought the message back to Rome and said, hey, this is what happened there. Pilate was involved in this crucifixion. They say the dude rose, you know. And, uh, yeah. And the Holy Spirit might move. There's some people in Rome. Anyway, he's in Rome. And he's in uh, uh, prison for almost five years, four years before he goes to Rome. Not the way he thought it was going to play out. And then he writes some more stuff. We get more letters. Ending with the Timothy letters. Timothy, the only one who looks out for who doesn't look out for his own interest type of thing. So interesting words there. Um, and I read it as a letter to this guy. You know. A lot of a lot of the manipulation that goes on in churches now is to say it's the inerrant word of inspired word of God. And it's 2019. So I'm gonna take these verses. And I'm going to use them for my own purposes, which is to say, you're unruly and I don't want, I don't have anything to do with you. So that's, that's one application that makes me sad inside, but maybe I need the, maybe the world needs that. Maybe the world needs to have this nice guy, great guy, a good family guy. Raised great kids, really friendly in church, doing what God asked him to do, but he has nothing to do with me now because I'm unruly and uh, just a terrible guy. So I kind of want to tell him off because <laughs> he, he kind of misinterprets that whole passage, but it makes him feel comfortable. And it's emotionally painful for me, right? I mean, it doesn't sound like it, but it is. I mean, but then again, it's instructive. I, I probably need to have this experience so that I can explain it to others that there's too much conformity, not enough acknowledging of how awesome God is, and I'm not going to sing a song. That's usually when, the only time we hear about how awesome God is is when someone sings a song. And uh, I'm not against that. Just, I want to hear more how awesome God is from teachers, but they want to dispense knowledge. And, you know, have to make sure their bucket is all firm. You know, <laughs> crab mentality is so nasty. And I know the guy won't agree to it, but that's crazy cool what it is. It's like, come into our bucket. It's a wonderful bucket. But if you ever get in, you can never get out, man. And if you want to get out, well, then we've got verses for that. We've got verses for that. Um, so on to James. So James, I, I do the, 
I started this whole thing out just like focusing on Paul, but then I realized, you know, there's other books in there for a reason, right? There's James, there's first and second Peter, there's one, two, three, John, there's even revelations and there's the gospels. But, you know, I decided to not dive into the mess that revelations is other than to notice that Ephesus didn't seem to turn out so well, did it? So I kind of like that part of the story. And even though Paul in First and Second Timothy gave all these great instructions to Timothy about leaders and elders and how great they are, we're going to have this structure and organization. Apparently, he either did that and did his best at it, or he didn't. But either way, the church wasn't awesome anymore, even though they had the best instructions possible and probably selected the best elders and leadership. Ephesus died out. And I would say that's the Holy Spirit. Just, you know, Paul wrote stuff that like he thought he was going to just mosey on down to uh, Rome on his way to Spain in a couple months, but it turned out to be a couple years. So what, what should we also learn from this is that there's no guarantee that pulling scripture as magic code and prescriptions to things. So the better system is to remember that the system is God, a living God, not a rule book of stuff. And unfortunately, one of my systems is to really know the rule book as best I can and uh, read it as it was written, which brings me to James. Because James technically is the very first, they believe, they believe, the very first document in the New Testament written in the 40s. And the theory is that it was written shortly after Stephen was martyred. And James was writing to the 12 tribes that were scattered. Scattered after Stephen was martyred. And the book, I suggest, should be read as another book to Jewish believers uh, because that's pretty much the way the early Christian church thought of themselves as Jews primarily with a new covenant, new faith. And they probably wanted to integrate with the, the core of the Jewish religion, but I don't know, 15 years later they finally said, well, I think this message is for the Gentiles too, and hey Paul, will you go take this message to non-Jews? And then they get through a whole transition of whether there should be circumcision or not. So it's a healthy, I say it's healthy to read it on your own. It takes time. Put it in order. Get a get a picture. Don't let other people tell you what it means or what it is. Because we have the luxury now of so many resources to read it ourselves and integrate it in, in our lives. So my system is to, to read that. So I'll carry on. I was debating on whether to move up James 
in my order of things, but I think I'll leave it where it is and use the opportunity to further explain that um, context matters, history matters, what was going on matters, and read things that way. And I love First Peter, Second Peter. The best thing about Peter is when he talks about Paul saying like, yeah, some of his stuff's hard to understand. You know? and, and if you remember, it's not just the word of God standing as the word of God, it's people writing these things. That's one of my main messages to you. It's people writing to him. And when you really step back, go through it over and over again, you see quirky things like, hey man, I left my coat. Can you bring my coat for me? And sure, some pastor probably did a whole sermon on that. That's great. Yeah. But do we need more sermons? Do we need another hero? Tina Turner, do we need another hero? You're the hero. You're the hero. Walk. Spiritu ambulatio. You do your walk. No manipulation. Stop the manipulation by others. Uh, when it says encourage one another, it's encouraging them to be walking in the spirit. Not encouraging them to do what you think is the best. If you think something needs to be done, go do it. And if you find other people on the way that will join you, great. But first, just do it yourself. Smoke what you're selling. Smoke what you're selling. So if that, I'll look through my list of podcasts and if I haven't done Smoke what you're selling. That'll be the name of this baby. It's uh, Thanksgiving. Oh, man. Thanksgiving Thursday. And there's still things to do. My wife's busy, awesome doing things, especially the women. Like, you know, all the women get this. They they enjoy the turkey. Some of them do. Not, not all women, right? Gaussian distribution. More more women love doing the turkey than men. There are some men, but give me a break. Don't get upset with me. <laughs> and it's an American thing, right, too. So Germans, Europeans are like, oh, Americans are having their Thanksgiving. And they have a hard time. They really technically can't relate to it. It's kind of a weird holiday because it's the beginning of the beginning of separating ourselves from them. So that's not bad. Separation. Separate, but equal. Something like that. Separate, but loved. We love those guys. We love them. And, uh, yeah. So happy uh, Thanksgiving, everyone. Um, I seem to be on a daily roll, I noticed. on these. So hopefully you enjoy it. And uh, the what now, again smoke what you're selling think about what you're selling are you smoking it yourself get authentic it's a process it's a deep thing set up systems multiple systems for different things i'm not that's not my strength um but i still need to adopt it like pomodoros and writing and things like that so i'll give myself some grace mercy i don't know what's happening it's all in god's plan timing what who's 
who set the agenda, who sets the schedule, right? Um, so not me, not you. So chill, be loved, get the peace, the grace, the mercy in your life and give that. That's what we all want. We all want love, grace and mercy. So and hope. So spread that around to your people in your life. So, all right, time to go. Bye-bye. Hey, 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 Black Friday, Black Friday, November 2019. And it's uh, early and uh, 9.15. It says the rain's going to end in about 45 minutes, but it's not even raining now. So I'm taking a chance with Bud because it's not, not really raining. And he probably doesn't want to wait another 45 minutes. So we'll go now. We're going to take a chance. Risk it. No risk it, no biscuit. Yeah. No risk it, no biscuit. Yeah. Buddy's owner, Arizona Schnoodle Walks. The Schnoodle has been washed yesterday for Thanksgiving, or two days ago. It's clean, clean for yesterday. Thanksgiving dinner was great. We had Jackson over. The miracle heart surgery is a little dude. I probably don't even realize what a miracle that is. It's pretty amazing. It's kind of stuff, medical stuff becomes routine. Yeah. So it's uh, it's been raining overnight, so it's wet out here in Arizona. And we kind of enjoy it. There's clouds kind of hanging down. Uh, we have these things that sort of, we call them mountains, but if you're... Colorado or the Alps or something. It's those aren't really mountains, man. So and but you know they're maybe only two thousand feet high, but or fifteen hundred, maybe even twelve hundred. But they look like something. And do they really look different than a twelve thousand foot mountain? I guess supposedly, but you know. But anyways. This is what we got. And uh, 47 degrees. Chilly with that rain. And uh, here we go. It's another walk. What? So what? Well, maybe you need a break in your day. Just kind of can vicariously walk the dog with me. <laughs> and there's no... Today, Friday, what's my... Like my emotional mood gauge, it's not bad. I mean, there's nothing I can do today, really. Like everybody's either shopping or kind of chilling or ate a lot or recovering. And there's a whole. It's kind of it's kind of nice when the whole you feel you kind of have this feeling that the whole community is chilling out, right? So you don't feel like you have to compete with anybody and do anything special, you know. And just spend time with family. So we have Alma over. Alma was born in 1940, right at the uh, outbreak of World War II, and uh, which started in September of 39. Yeah, so Alma doesn't talk about it, but basically her mother was, you know, carrying a baby, and it's like, oh, great, great, we're starting a war. That's great. <laughs> Oh, man, perspective, looking at things a different way, right? Yeah, 
yeah. And uh, so, so um, I got it. I'm enjoying myself uh, reading and, uh, oh, a spiritual tidbit, a little bit of a mini sermon, I guess you'd say. So James chapter one and two, um, a lot of it, and Martin Luther didn't really like James. He's kind of like wanted to rip it out of the Bible, man, because it talks about justification by works. And then you got the whole Roman Catholics like arguing like if there's the soul of fide, which is by faith alone. You know, and then the Roman Catholics say, well, what about James, man? James said, you're justified by your works, your works, right? So it is a kind of a dilemma, but I came up with a, a thought that, you know, maybe the works, you know, what is a work, right? What is a work? Maybe I'll call a podcast, what is a work? Because that's probably the most benefit I can give you today is my thoughts on a complex debate that's gone on for 500 years and I would say why do we think you know works is like being like Mother Teresa or some other outstanding philanthropist or something doesn't it wouldn't it be attainable right and and think about the time it was written right there's written in the 40 AD there's only the technology was so basic I mean, stuff was so different then. So a work to James isn't like go overseas and fulfill the Great Commission and uh, a good work. You got to do good works, man. You got to got to go reach those unreached people groups, man. You got to do Jack. And some of you guys are doing Jack for Jesus because your works, you know, the works. I don't see your works, right? So I'm starting to think, well, hey, you know, maybe... A good work is, you know, loving your family and being kind. And, uh, and and those are kind of tough to measure. Like, well, how loving do you have to be and how kind? And it's like, just be a little bit. Who's to say, you know, what? how much of a work you need to do, right? So you can still go with James and go, you know, okay. Yeah, I get it. Good works. But I think the human being, the, at least for me, and maybe it's similar for you, is that you hear something like that and you're like, you cringe. You're like, oh, well, or like my dad. When he, it, was even, it was even on my dad's death chair, I would say. It wasn't his deathbed because he was sitting in a chair. But he, he passed away within eight hours. And the last thing he told me or you know, commented to me was like, oh, I hope I did enough. I hope I did enough works, right? Because he doesn't, he's confused because no one defines, well, what's, what's enough works, right? What's, what's enough works? You know, and I think I would say probably James is saying like, well, just, you know, do good things. And I don't know if he's, I don't, I don't think James is virtue signaling to people, but he, he goes into a little bit. It's got to be attitude. And it's also, it's not like works. Um, we don't, we can, this is where the sola spiritu ambulatio comes in, is we're walking in the spirit and God will show us what works we're to do. And later Paul would say, you know, we're created in um, Christ Jesus to do good works. So though works, everyone's works are different, right? So I think that's one of the keys. 
We're all called here to do something different. But it's also a daily thing, too, just being kind and loving. And people may not observe, you know, our observation of others is way off. And so we, um, you know, this judgmental, awesome them. They're not, they're not doing, no, they don't have faith because they're not, they're not doing enough good works, enough good works. Just like my, my dad lived 88 years, 88 years and even the last hours he was concerned about doing enough. And I, I'm not going to, I love my dad. It was like a comfort. I don't know if it was comforting to him. I was like, oh yeah, dad, you did. It's not about doing enough. It just isn't about that. Right? So, and also, it isn't about the us and them thing about some Baptists said, ah, Roman Catholics are going to hell. You know, it's so, so stupid commentary. And yet, it's like, it's not my dad's fault that all these religious people played all these power broker crap, you know, to, to either manipulate or rule their little flock, you know, making them think like they gotta, they gotta do enough, right? So it's not my father's fault that that was one of the people he ended up hanging out with. And uh, yeah, so the the gospel's bigger than these organized churches who try to put it in a box for you and tell you this is what it is. And uh, it's kind of sad because they the box people and and then that's why people you know they keep doing these statistics about how few people are going to churches. And I think people in their gut just know it's like you guys aren't smoking what you're selling, man. It's back to that again. I'm kind of stuck on that. <laughs> you guys are really convinced yourselves that you're you know that what you're smoking is the best, but. But if you look at what you're smoking, it says a little something different. So like not what you're smoking. Something like that. People can tell authenticity, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming. So what other interesting things happened this morning? Well, um, there was a Facebook picture of my brother's family in Boston. They're all on their bicycles. So I'm kind of I'm kind of stuck on this German singer Max Rob and his song Fahrrad Fahren. So I got to send that over to him because it's the joy of riding a bike, right? So what else on Facebook? I saw there's a psychologist who I know, and she she posts you know these little sayings, quite a few sayings. And I usually, I mean, I like them. For the most part, they're pretty good. But I also cringe a little bit on some of them. So, like, the other one the other day was, like, narcissists provoke people. uh, Provoke people so that they can blame you. You know, provoke you into saying something so that they can blame you or something like that. And I go, well... I wouldn't just say my <clears throat> my family is full of narcissists, but that's our style of communication, is what we say. 
we say crazy stuff just to get people to talk, right? That's I mean, that's my observation of my my mother and father at the dinner table when we had guests over or something. <laughs> my mom, I call it. My mom would say something bad shit crazy just to get people talking, and so she's provoking people, right? She does like. You know, it's not because she wants to blame anybody for anything. It's just that she's provoking people into conversation. So, you know, that's my experience. So I think I commented about something. Just just because I think this narcissism thing is like way overblown. And besides, you know, labeling people narcissists, does that help anybody? You know, I get the, I get the Henry Cloud boundaries and protecting ourselves from things but uh just labeling that there's all these narcissists running around my response is like really i mean okay all right we're we we can label that narcissism wow you know some people just say it's call it being a jerk right do we need a fancy word like narcissism to describe being a jerk i guess you know i guess some people like it Especially if it's at your business, right? So you want to, one psychiatrist, psychologist, Paul Meyer wrote the book many years ago called Don't Let the Jerks Get the Best of You, right? So jerks is a four, it's a four letter down. Plural is with S makes it five letters, jerks. Um, Dang, my brain was quick with that. I was about to say it's a four letter word, but then I realized my brain was so quick, man. It's like, no, jerks is five letters, man. No, plural. Oh, yeah. It's a four letter noun, jerk with jerks. <laughs> so, they're an example of on the fly thinking, broken down for you. So, what? Well, just amazing how the brain works, folks. Mine works a little different than yours. Not mine's that better. It's just different. So, uh, yeah, Paul Meyer, don't let the jerks get the best of you. I still have to process that because I don't, I don't fully grasp it. But the, the now, though, the buzz the last couple of years has been narcissists. Everyone's a narc, not everyone, but, you know, oh, that guy's a narcissist. That, and I'm like, well, everybody has a bit of narcissism. In it. So with a Gaussian distribution curve, you know, there's the average person has some level of narcissism. So when does it get to be a problem, you know, right? And uh, unfortunately, yeah, maybe we can make a complex mathematical analysis on this. So the, if you have a distribution curve of 7 billion people and you're measuring their levels of narcissism, some people may have a huge amount of narcissism, but it doesn't matter because they, they have no influence or impact people. And then others may have an average amount of narcissism, but everybody knows about them. Like take, for example, a politician, right? So a politician's in the news all the time and they get beat up and there's all people just can't stop talking about the politician, right? And so they may have just above average narcissism, or maybe they have one sigma over to the right. But they may not be the most narcissistic person on the planet, but because they're a politician, they get the crap beat out of them for being a narcissist. So that, I mean, that's kind of complex analysis, but it's like, 
you, it's, it's not just uh, a one-dimensional measurement of narcissism. It's like, what do they influence? Because a guy could be like a super narcissist, but just be like in the jungles of Africa. It's not like the dudes that like just farm whatever they farm in some remote area. It's not like they're all, they're none of those people are narcissists because they just, oh, they can't be narcissists because they're just so lovely and stuff, right? But they, they may, they may be more narcissistic than a politician. So I think the point is, it's like a multiplication factor. It's like your influence, your impact, your visibility, your, your whatever it is factor. If you have huge visibility, your characteristics will be exploited for whatever purposes people want to do it for, just because they can point at you, which unfortunately leads to the us and them thing, which is like, we're better than that guy. And somehow that makes us feel better. So there you go. That's my little, and, and, and so that was the narcissistic post. Then there was one this morning about, you know, liars, like, oh, you know, once, once, uh, you lie, then, um, I can't trust a liar. Right. And again, it's a general statement where there was a word for that, a generalization somehow. And immediately I thought like, I thought I heard a statistic somewhere that like everybody's lying, like every 10 minutes or something. You know, like everybody's lying. So again, it's like narcissism. It's like, well, what's the level of the lie? What, you know, like if someone said, did you drink chocolate milk? And you really drank um, uh, white milk, you know, and you lied about it. Like the impact of that is, could be pretty small. I mean, it could be significant if it was the last, um, <laughs> the last drop of white milk that you wanted to put in your coffee, you know, so if you lied about drinking, make using it for chocolate milk, I mean, that has an impact on you, but it's not going to lower your trust in your child. If your child lies to you about, Hey, did you, you know, use all that milk to make chocolate milk? Oh no, I didn't do that. You know, you know, so are you going to stop trusting your child because <coughs> they lied to you about the chocolate milk? Probably not. You probably do some, if you find out and you want to instruct them, <coughs> you may, you probably say, hey, that's not a good idea to make a practice of lying <coughs> about stuff. So this is the thing about Facebook. You put up a little statement. It's kind of like Twitter, you know, when you put these little phrases up there. There's no discussion about it. So I just said, uh, my, my response was, uh, hey, uh, pretty much everybody's lying all the time. And I referenced this article, researcher, right? Now, some of you listening probably like, Michael, that's so stupid. Why do you do that? It's like, I don't, I don't know. I just felt like doing it. I mean, I like, I'm just, it's not like, you know, people say, oh, you're just contrary. You know? Well, it's, it's that flipping the coin thing. There's so many people that do mindset switches 
and you got to look at two sides of the coin. But I guess a lot of people don't want to look at two sides of the coin. So they get they might get pissed off at that. But a healthy mindset shift is to go, okay, well, I see that statement, but the, the temptation is if you buy into that statement 100% and don't say there's no flip side, then you could be real, you know, you could you really be limiting yourself in your relationships because you'd be like, oh, that guy lied about the chunk of milk, so I can't trust that dude. <coughs> so there's more factors to it than surely the definition of what a lie is. And I, I think I made something like perfection can't be the goal, is it? Like never ever lie. And and I and and basically the, the study was interesting. I didn't even read, read it. <laughs> Full confession. I like I find the article, I'll read a first paragraph, and go, "Yep, there it is." Research shows that people lie a lot. And then after I got some pushback from the lady that psychologist that put it up, and she's like, "Oh, that's so sad." And that's all she wrote. It's so sad. And then I responded right away, like, well, what do you mean sad? Sad that I commented or sad that there's an article about this? And then she added it later and she goes, she just added the I disagree. And I'm like, what is she disagreeing about? Research? <laughs> A research study? And, I, and I'm like, I have to back off and let it go because... I don't really know this person real well. Sort of do. She probably knows me better. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, dealing with a psychologist is a bit dangerous because they, they're fairly confident they know you so well, right? That's what they do all day is try to get to know people, understand them, and blah, 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 right? So her, she's motivated to think that she knows people real well. But, uh, how often do we get one piece of information and then extrapolate that into all the kind of conclusions that aren't valid? So it's a trick. I, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm just sharing as I walk Bud here, life experiences that, you know, you may come across and it's that mindset shift of flipping the coin, looking at both sides of the coin. And, uh, so I'm kind of curious what she actually means if she disagrees with the research. <laughs> I mean, that I'm, that's pretty bold, right? Like, here's a research study. I, then I had to go back and read the whole article again, which wasn't that long. But, um, it just said that they video they they had three groups of people. It was a college study, and they said people were going to, you know, meet people for the first time, spend ten minutes, and you know they videotaped them. And they didn't tell them they were videotaping them, but, you know, they had to tell them afterwards. They go like, hey, you know, we, we by the way, we did videotape you and we want to do a study about lying. And, uh, and the subjects were very kind of basic, right? They were intense fact, you know, findings, missions or anything. But, um, you know, the article goes on, it's like, wow, people were surprised. And how often they lied. They watched the videotape and they were asked to like point out things like where they might have lied. Like one of the minor examples, like somebody they were they just meet this person, they're having a conversation, and they're like, Oh, Bruce Springsteen, you know, comes up in conversation. Some popular figure, and the person the one person says, Yeah, yeah, I really like Bruce Springsteen. 
and the other person that's in the study is like, oh yeah, I like them too. But then on the videotape, they're like, well, actually I don't like them, but I just said I like them to go along with the person because that's kind of a nice way of building rapport. And uh, hey, bud, there's water down there. I don't think we're gonna be able to go. I don't want to walk through the block, but I don't think you want to either. Want to do it, bud? <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I can see the water, but I don't know. Are you really gonna sure you want to do this, bud? So, anyways, the article talks about the um, uh, the results, which is people lied quite a bit, and you know these are liking a musician or not, or liking a movie or not, and saying you do is like, is that how, how damaging is that? Is the impact of that? And, uh, and I think maybe that's what the psychologist said. There's like, even though it's a pithy little saying about you know, lying and not being able to trust someone, you know, I guess I'm diminishing what she meant, what the phrase means because there are some things that are really important that we shouldn't lie about, um, probably. And so most of you probably get it. But me being me, I'm like, um, let's love everyone. No one's perfect. And uh, just understand that people may lie to us. And that's okay. I mean, we may be hurt by someone's lies, but uh, we probably expend a lot of energy in being upset <clears throat> that someone's lie. And so my framing it is to say, well, yeah, everybody's could probably lie a little bit. I mean, I can't even remember when I lied, but I probably did. I don't know. Maybe, even, maybe I even lied in this podcast already. I don't know. And it's maybe just a level of transparency, you know, if we're in public or doing a podcast with 7 billion people on the planet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe I'm not as transparent as I should be. So maybe I'm just lying. That's that now you're starting to, now we're really analyzing the crap out of it. But I think you get the point. So I let it go. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think it's kind of funny to say I disagree with a research article, but, you know, she probably popped up that little phrase for who knows why. You know, maybe to encourage somebody that was hurt by some important lies, right? more significant lies than when you drank chocolate milk. So she probably, I mean, people are hurt. We're hurt by lies, right? And, uh, yeah, but it's, it's okay. And it's not okay, okay, but, um, is it, is it, is it, to me, it's like the only healing is to move on. And, and it's just the human condition to what helps me. Maybe it doesn't help other people, but what helps me is to say, yeah, yeah, people lie. And it hurts a lot of times, depending on what the lie is, right? And, and I've lived with that. Like there was one guy who worked for a company that basically the president of the company was lying to me. You know, he wouldn't say, he would probably deny it. And, uh, 
and and now I have my doubts if he was kind of lying to me or if he was just dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not. What's better that he's, you know, I start out with the assumption that this guy's got to be pretty clever. And I'm thinking if he's clever, then he's lying to me. But maybe he's just not that clever, right? So either way, I got to let it go, right? You know, just let it go and not get hung up on it. I got to move on. And so I don't know what the point of the, I don't know, I just, I'm contrary. I mean, that's what I am. I look at it from the flip the side all the time. It's like, what, you know, yeah, people lie. Is that, are we going to lose all trust in mankind? I guess it's just the verify thing. And it depends on relation to relationship. So a little pithy saying is really complex. It's like how you apply it. You know, the person that posts it has an idea of the situation they're posting it for. But I, the reader, we have no idea. And that's one of the issues probably with social, quote unquote, social media. When I say social media, I'm just referring to all these little programs we have to like throw up comments. So other, you know, anybody in the world can see them. I, I don't know why we do, why we, why we feel compelled to do it. And in a weird way, this podcast is simply a verbal tweet that goes on for 50 minutes, right? Because you can't really respond to it. And it, and it technically is as available as any tweet is out there. So I mean, many years ago, I thought. I thought Twitter was kind of interesting, but I thought somebody should invent Squeaker. I just came up with a name called Squeaker. And that way people could do 30-second voice recordings. And uh, that would be like the Twitter. Because yeah. like that, and, and it and also has a little bit of more communication capability. And, uh, you know, you could record your little... 30 second thing in there which is actually probably a really good idea now because there's so much misunderstanding in in uh, in communication and uh, so squeaker yeah so you listeners out there if you want to invent a new app called squeaker um, I think it's kind of cool I don't know if see I, I have the idea in my head for squeaker and, and yet, I don't have a way to implement it. So, if you, you know, now that I talk about it, I'm thinking it actually is not a bad idea. Squeaker, you got 30 seconds to like make a comment. Maybe you short it down to 20. 22 seconds to record something, because that's what Twitter is kind of like. And uh, and it probably would knock off a lot of the shenanigans. Um, I mean, I like, I kind of get a kick out of Twitter for me is being, trying to be clever with my words. I like words, but not everybody on Twitter likes words, right? So you, you try to, or Facebook, you know. So, I mean, Facebook has the, the videos, but usually there, people are not, if you do squeaker, squeaker's all voice and it's 22 seconds or something. And uh, I just picked 22 because it sounds kind of fun. <laughs> 22 seconds. 
squeaker squeak and uh and it and it will it'll kind of i think it would actually improve the tweeting world because twitter twitter has gotten really nasty i guess it's just a an argument after an argument but if you actually put voice to the arguments then people will probably would be like have to listen to themselves because you can write a lot of stuff and not really understand how it comes across. But if you now you start speaking it, what you're thinking, and you listen to it later, you know, if someone challenges you on what you say, and uh, it takes an element of the anonymity out of it. So I kind of couldn't be Wu Chang anymore. But it might help Roseanne Barr not lose her television program. Not that I miss the program. I'm just saying a, uh, a little tweet has a huge impact. <laughs> I'm glad it didn't impact me that way. But uh, yeah, philosophy of tw- Twitter. Squeaker. There it is. Squeaks. Squeaker. Just record. And I think the technology is there now because everyone, iPhones, Android, just go on to Squeaker. And I guess you could tag some. Um, the the thing is, Twitter. People use Twitter. A lot of people do for self promotion. And now they're using LinkedIn more and more for self promotion. And maybe everything's just self-promotion. Like this podcast. This podcast. Self-promotion. I'm developing my brand. My brand. Yeah. And, uh, oh yeah, I noticed something. Uh, this uh, I've been talking about build a story brand. So I discovered something um, in the middle of the night, as you do. Um, there's another guy that's been doing it longer than Donald Miller, I think. And uh, it's kind of interesting because I think they share a lot of similarities in concepts. But, uh, you know, Donald Miller's probably got a better marketing um, program. So I have a feeling that Don Miller has probably got it cornered, but I'm not sure he's done it as long as the other guy. So I'm going to, and not that it's matter. So what does it tell me? It's like, well, two people can own, like, I don't know if it's own it, but two people can utilize a similar principle concept and go with it. They don't have to, they don't have to like criticize the other guy and say, well, he doesn't quite have the story brand exactly right. I mean, he calls his uh, story brand with a space between the Y and the B, and I call mine the story brand as one word. You know, it's the same concept, right? Same framework, right? They have very similar frameworks. So it'll be interesting when I have some time to just kind of look at them and compare them. But what's the takeaway on that? The takeaway to me is like, well, is it competition? 
Uh, I guess so. But it's encouraging to, uh, I, I don't know, uh, I wouldn't say, I'm not sure. Maybe who, did Donald, Donald Miller copy the other guy? Or did Donald Miller just take that idea and said, hey, man, we got to really, that's a great idea, this story branding. So we got to really, you know, push it in this direction. Right? So that's what they've done. So that's the first time I've seen two fairly powerful groups. I, th I just think one is probably more well-known than the other guy. In fact, I'd have to look it up. That's why I don't have the guy's name. I know Donald Miller's name, and I know his book. The other guy's selling a, it's not quite a course, right? Like he's selling an $89 uh, interactive um, instruction, which could be branded a course, right? But he didn't brand it that way. But it's 89 bucks, so I don't think I'm going to jump on that. I wanted to get a free something to get the framework for free and look at it. But I think I'll poke around. I don't have time right now. i got to walk buddy, right? Who's got time for all this stuff? <laughs> Who's got, we got to walk bud, man. And it started to drizzle a little bit. But we're almost home. Bud, do you want to go through here? Sure. Are you sure you want to go through here? All right. Bud gets his way. So the, the, the so what is kind of whatever your entrepreneurial thing you're doing. You know, yeah, you probably have competition. You probably have um, um, other people doing similar stuff in your lane, so to speak. But um, this latest guy on the story brand is talking about how you got to own it, right? So I don't know, maybe Donald Miller talks about the same thing too, but this other guy, I think I'm resonating more with because he's talking about owning it, owning your story, which I'm resonating with because I think I need to do that more than I am. And if I truly own it, and I incorporate some of Rob Bell's thing that you're the medium, like I'm the medium, you're the hero, you're the medium. Well, let me give a shout out. I don't know, hopefully she's listening, but, uh, you know, she did a um, five minute pitch to her entrepreneur group. And I resonated. I let her know that the thing that caught me right at the beginning was for me, I mean, this is their audience's change, right? Your audience uh, may change your message a bit. Because I'm not, I'm not sitting in that audience as a person that's got this business I'm trying to build. I'm trying to use these tools and learn from my fellow workers that are also using the same tools. So I'm not listening to the pitch or the talk or the presentation from that point of view. I'm just listening to, to it as a person that is interested in what this person's doing to build their business. So right out of the gate, she told a story. It's kind of story branding too. It's about how she started out in publishing world. And there was a pile of manuscripts or people had written. So this is the old way 
of writing books. And she was sad about she thought she found one in the, in the like a needle in the haystack and brought it to the seasoned professional editor. And although that story resonated with her, it didn't meet the criteria of the publishing company. So, boom, nope, not going to publish that. And boy, does that does that not hurt you? Like whatever your story is, your your uh, message, your life experience, to just have it pitched by an editor of a book, you know, big book publishing company, because that's the way, that's the only outlet we've had for years. So now we, uh, we, we can, she can help build people's dreams because she, she feels the pain of the, what people must feel is that they have a good idea that resonates with people, at least some people, it doesn't have to resonate with everybody. But she she expressed that right away in a very short story. So that's where the audience, I kind of, I don't know if this meant much to her because it's just a text message again, but it's kind of like, well, her audience are people that are really, quote unquote, dialed into what they're doing, right? They're, there's very few people. That audience was a rare, rare audience of people that are, focused on their business. So yeah, they're listening to you. They're like, yeah, how does that relate to my business? Yeah, I see how you're using the the methodology we all follow and the, the things we're doing. You know, so that's the audience is different than the public audience. So I just gave her feedback that it was great. And I think she should stick with that. My recommendation, whatever for whatever it's worth, because it really resonated with me to hear about that motivation that she has coming from the pain of seeing people's, you know, pouring in. Like, and this is a writing thing too, right? It's like, dang. I mean, you if you haven't tried to write a book before. You know, you probably thought about it, but you need a coach, someone to get you started. She got me started. And I wrote 70,000 words. That's plenty for a book. And, uh, you know, I gotta, I'm working on it now to get it better, get it right, make it more transformational for the reader, not just my rants, right? So um, there was that part. And then the close, I thought her closing commentary resonated with me about joining her efforts into changing the world because of this new technology we have. So I think she's pretty cool. She's cool. Like, she, I think she was a little disappointed. Like maybe she didn't win the competition of five people doing similar businesses. But unfortunately we get distracted by numbers because we don't, we don't fully understand the impacts of stuff we do and so if you you know the, the simplest thing is to put a dollar value on something you know oh you know put a dollar on it and then people feel like oh i don't really understand this but really it had a hundred thousand dollar a million 
a billion dollar impact. And it's like the numbers, we get distracted by the numbers, especially the dollar numbers. And so not, I mean, this, this person has been working really hard. Not, not, it's not really hard, hard, but she's committing time and, and, and mental energy and pouring her emotions into helping people write books, you know, and it's a, it's not just sitting behind a computer screen and flipping some special event. Right. So I don't know. It's good. That's good. I don't know what to say. My comment is keep going. Um, we are huge critics of ourselves, right? Super, super inner critics are strong. And, uh, yeah, it's tough to get over that inner critic, which, you know, there's some really good that came out of that message for me. And, uh, I just wanted to provide that feedback. And, uh, again, I mean, again, it's, you look at the numbers, like not dollar numbers now, now I'm thinking of people numbers. And, uh, you know, not everyone's going to see it. Not everyone's going to see that. I call it like a holy calling that person has to um, recognize all this um, yearning to impact positively other people and the best way to do it is to write it out in a book so you can write it. I, I, me, I've noticed when speaking, I can, I don't always, I try to get too much in maybe in a short period of time or something, but by writing it organized, it is a monologue, it's not a dialogue necessarily, but it's like getting all my ideas out. So, so quickly in conversation, people can cut you off because you may trigger something and that they don't want to deal with. But if you write it down in a book, I'm thinking about like the time element. It might take four hours to read a book. Well, would I be willing to spend even four? I don't think I would be willing to spend four hours straight listening to Scott Adams, who's super smart. Um, I'd rather just have his book, right? Because then I can read a chapter here for 15 minutes and then pick it up again later. And yet I get the whole message, you know, in four hours, but it's spread out over time. And we want transformational stuff too, don't we? And uh, meaning, being a hero. You've got some heroic things to do. And I'm commenting on the, uh, hey, bye, bye, bye. The micro, micro heroism, I guess we call it. And uh, I'm home now. It's just starting to rain again. But that was, uh, I enjoyed that walk. I hope you enjoyed it. And, uh, I forgot already what I was going to call this thing.
grace, mercy, and peace to you. And uh, good works, I think we're calling this thing. All right, enjoy your good works, your micro-generosity. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to start a company called Squeaker, um, I believe in it for whatever it's worth. So squeak away. All right, bye-bye.